Welcome everyone to the Persist podcast. I'm so excited today to be here with Demi Espinosa, who is the California Desert Program Manager for the National Parks Conservation Association. Demi Espinosa is the daughter of working class Mexican immigrants and the youngest of 10 siblings raised in Riverside, California. As a first generation student, she earned a bachelor's degree in sociology at California State University, San Bernardino, and is currently completing a master's degree in urban sustainability and applied spatial analysis for geographic information systems, GIS, from Antioch University. Demi was a 2020 Switzer Fellow, graduate of Nature for All's Leadership Academy, certified as a California naturalist, and served on the Student Advisory Board for the California Native Plant Society. She currently works as the California Desert Program Manager for the National Parks Conservation Association. Demi's love of nature and desire to restore our relationship to land have led to graduate work that centers public lands conservation, land stewardship, and improved access to nature for environmental justice people with disabilities, and BIPOC communities. Demi enjoys hiking with her two dogs, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. Demi, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Likewise. Just so our viewers know, the Persist Women's Political Engagement Conference, we're entering our fifth year this fall. And one of our main messages is that political engagement is much broader than just running for office or working for an elected official. You're a fantastic example of this as you have extensive experience in policy advocacy and community organizing related to racial equity, environmental justice, transportation equity, and land use planning. Please tell us a bit about yourself and your path into all of this engaging and important work. Sure, I'd be happy to. So thanks for having me on the program. My name is Demi Espinosa, and I use she and, and they pronouns. And I'm currently calling in from the ancestral homelands of the Serrano people, otherwise known as Yucca Valley. And to really talk about how I got to this work and where I am today, you know, I really owe it to a lot of my ancestors and my family. And so I'd love to start kind of talking about my origin story. My full name is actually Demetria, uh, although I go by Demi. And it's passed, that name is passed on from three generations. So it's my grandma's name, my mother's name, and it comes from the root word Demeter, uh, which is the Greek goddess of harvest. And it's really fitting and suitable because I come from a long line of farmers and beekeepers from Ayutla, Jalisco, Mexico. And my ancestors' entire livelihood really depended on being in right relationship with the land. And everything I learned about nature and, you know, respecting nature came from my mom. And, you know, although my mom didn't have the opportunity to get an education past second grade. I mean, she can tell you every single native plant, the name, the medicinal uses. And so, you know, I really just everything that I am today, I, I owe it to her. And when we migrated from Riverside, or excuse me, from Mexico, we landed in Riverside, California. And I'm the youngest of 10 kids. So we have a really big family. And grow, growing up in Riverside, I was surrounded by mountains in our neighborhood. And I had this huge curiosity for nature and science. And so I loved being outside. Although my mom would only let me be outside for two hours a day because the pollution was so bad. You know, if I'd go out and, and play for longer than two hours, my lungs would feel so heavy and they'd feel like a ton of bricks. So I had, you know, that kind of experience, lived experience growing up in an environmental justice community. And I carried that with me. I remember like in, I think like fourth grade, writing, writing to Mayor Ron Leverage. <laughs> like I remember that explicitly being like, we need to do something to address air quality. So I always kind of had that passion. I ended up staying local. I went to Cal State San Bernardino. And I remember this really formative moment of signing up to volunteer for LGBT organizing in Riverside and San Bernardino counties. And that really changed the trage 
trajectory of my life. I wanted to be a librarian and a scientist, but then because of that volunteer experience, I really gained a huge knowledge in community organizing. I got an opportunity after working with Equality California for a few years to move to Portland, Oregon and work on work with Basic Rights Oregon, the Coalition of Communities of Color. And so I worked with all of these community-based organizations. I was the only queer person in, in an all-white neighborhood in Portland. And that's where I noticed huge disparities, you know, from the way I grew up and the neighborhood that I was experiencing in Portland. In Portland, they had parks, they had sidewalks, they had, you know, all of this infrastructure, bike lanes that I wasn't accustomed to. I came back to Riverside wanting to be closer to my family. And there I got an opportunity to work on land use issues, transportation equity, and EJ. With Safe Routes Partnership, I got an opportunity to be a member of the Women's Policy Institute. So I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that, but it's a great program from the Women's Foundation. And now I find myself working on public lands conservation and wanting to really bridge the gap between conservation in the Inland Empire and environmental justice issues. And I'm graduating next month from Antioch University, oh my gosh, in a month, with urban with a degree in urban sustainability and GIS. So I'm so excited to get my master's so soon. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. This is such an interesting trajectory, and I love that you are writing your mayor as a fourth grader. <laughs> I think that that's a great political start. And I actually, I'm curious to hear more about your master's program. Can you tell us more about the program and why you decided to pursue this path in applied spatial analysis for GIS? Sure, absolutely. And my time at Cal State San Bernardino, I have to say, was really challenging. You know, as an undergrad, I was working full time. I didn't feel like I had the support academically. And so I really struggled. You know, I was getting C's. I was just barely passing my final. So I didn't have, you know, a good relationship academically at the, at the higher education level. But when I was working at Safe Routes Partnership, I noticed that a lot of the policy issues when we spoke to electeds or when we spoke to community members and other local governments, a lot of the work we were doing was around cartography and maps. And we found that maps were a really good way to tell a story and that tell a story of, you know, disparities that perhaps communities were facing. And it was a way to really synthesize data in a way that anybody can understand visually. So I decided to go to Antioch because of their progressive stance politically. And I'm so glad I did. I swear they don't pay me to say this, but Antioch <laughs> changed my life, you know, and, and they're so supportive in terms of environmental justice issues. In in, you know, in my undergrad, we read honestly nothing but older white men's literature. And in Antioch, we are finally elevating the voices of women, women of color, queer and trans authors. So I just felt like I found my academic home. And right now I'm working on a, a thesis on park access issues, particularly for Black, Indigenous people of color, LGBTQ, and people with disabilities as they access Joshua Tree National Park. And even though I lived in the Inland Empire, and if you've been in Joshua Tree, you know it's a magical place, the park has an extreme, extremely huge visitation problem. In 2019, they found that 1% of the visitors were people of color. And, you know, that's, that's really disappointing to me. And so I wanted to kind of better understand what the barriers were. So I did a literature review of conservation history. I did interviews with local and national stakeholders. And I did maps kind of depicting the inequities that communities face to get to the park. And I did all of this using a, a feminist political ecology lens. And political ecology asks us to examine relationships between geography, where we live, uh, the communities that live in that place, and the nature that's in that place. But what a feminist political ecology does, it takes it further and really ensures that we're looking at gender and race. And so we can focus on addressing problems and solutions with that lens on you know, who's impacted the most. 
So much of what you said is, is so fascinating. And I love that you're doing GIS work. I live in Redlands where Esri is headquartered and Esri is a global company leader in GIS. And they've been doing some of the most groundbreaking work recently as it relates to building platforms where you can really see this intersectional data, right? They've, they've done a lot of workshops mm -hmm. really around the importance of displaying racial equity data within a community. And I'm, I'm curious to know, because I know that so much of your work centers around intersectionality. Can you please talk a bit more about the intersections of racial equity and climate justice. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of Esri, by the way. <laughs> and Don Wright, the head scientist there, I'm a big fan and like follow her on Instagram and things. So, you know, love that Esri is local for me. And in terms of the intersections between climate justice and environmental justice, you know, I think those movements have a strong link, especially since it's evident that BIPOC communities, you know, people of color experience and will continue to experience disproportionate impacts like public health impacts uh, from climate change effects. And so I've even looked at studies that show, you know, these studies are from The Guardian, USA Today, that BIPOC communities contribute less pollution than their white counterparts and breathe in more air, uh, poor air quality and air pollution than their white counterparts. So they're, you know, we're really suffering the brunt of climate change now, and we're going to continue to do that. And so it's really important that the climate justice movement includes people of color and, and not only including them, but are also led by frontline communities. Because, you know, if those, those movements aren't led by frontline communities, they're not going to address the core issues and the core problems that we're going to be facing with climate. And so the solutions need to come from frontline communities. And when I think of frontline communities here in the Inland Empire, it's absolutely the freight communities that are along the corridors of all of these warehouses that are, you know, being um, open left and right. So I think Air quality is one of the biggest issues for the Inland Empire and climate justice really needs to come to terms with the fact that that movement hasn't always included the voices of women and people of color. And it's time that those leaders are elevated. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. And it's so refreshing to hear you say that because that is an integral part of the work that we've been doing with the Persist Conference and now with the Persist Podcast is, is really encouraging people to understand the importance of communities who are most impacted being at the center of the work and being at the table where these decisions are being made. So thank you for that eloquent explanation of why this is so important. I also, I read that you draw inspiration from queer Indigenous authors and advocates at center social change within ecological justice movements. I'm curious to know who are some of your favorites and who should our audience be sure to check out? Yeah, totally. I, I think this is such a great question because I get to gush uh, about all the people that I admire. You know, I, I feel like there's this author that I come to, you know, every time I feel maybe disheartened by the movement or feel burnt out or, you know, just need some inspiration. And that's Aurora Levens Morales. And she is a queer Jewish Puerto Rican disability justice advocate, environmental justice advocate. And I come to her work. She wrote this book called Medicine Stories. And I'll, I'll read you like a really quick quote. She says, understand this. Every struggle is an ecological struggle. If we understand ourselves as a part of a living ecosystem continually being shaped by us and shaping us, then everything we do has ecological implications. And every attempt to mend or protect our ecosystem is inevitably rooted in questions of social justice. And I just, I love her. I'm a big fan. So like after, you know, I hope your listeners after this podcast run to her Patreon. <laughs> she has a Patreon where she does poetry and definitely recommend her. The other person I would recommend is Alok. And they are a non-binary Southeast Asian queer author. They wrote Beyond the Binary and they're just this brilliant 
beautiful and like inspiring, uplifting beam of light. Um, they talk a lot about queer justice and you know liberation and they're on Instagram. So definitely follow them. Another big one I feel like that people are talking about is the author of Emergent Strategy. That's Adrienne Marie Brown. And I think she's really inspiring because I think she's made such a great connection on how we can learn from nature and ecological systems as we do our, as we do community organizing. So those three, I definitely recommend follow them on Instagram, Patreon, social media. Those are great recommendations. Thank you so much. And actually, my counterpart at UC Davis, um, the Women's Resource Center at UC Davis, recently hosted Adrienne Marie Brown, and it was an amazing conversation. So I I echo that recommendation as well and and anxious to look up the other ones that you suggested as well. Thank you for that. Demi, you've done so much in your career. I'm curious to know, do you have an accomplishment that you're most proud of thus far during your career? Sure. So I'm I'm so proud and honored to have worked on this three-year campaign with the community of Muscoy in San Bernardino in San Bernardino County. And I worked with this all-women-led team. And this is where I get to do a name drop because I really want to honor them. <laughs> but that was working with um, Assembly Member Eloise Gomez-Reyes, Community Leaders Angela and Rosa Loera, Maha Rizvi, uh, Mirza Andrade Martinez. And, you know, we worked with the community of Muscoy on a project. And we we were recently awarded a $1.8 million infrastructure grant. And this is a community that has seen, you know, disinvestment and it has been largely ignored in terms of infrastructure. They're a rural environmental justice, mostly Latinx community. And when I worked with them during this three-year period of time, we were able to receive a $3,000 grant from the Southern California Association of Government, so known as SCAG. And we leveraged those $3,000. I mean, we stretched them <laughs> in order to conduct community engagement and feedback. And we use that feedback back to really push the county puts in an application to the California Transportation Commission to put in sidewalks, crosswalks, like life-saving infrastructure that most people take for granted. Most people think, oh, a sidewalk's going to be there when I want to cross the street. And, you know, that's an urban planning issue that is really hard to tackle, particularly for rural communities. And, you know, I, I, I can say that the county didn't want to do it. You know, they had some, some hesitation. They wanted to focus on other projects. And these community members were relentless in their leadership and were so powerful and I I learned so much and so like you know they're going to get sidewalks and and the and the campaign's not over because even though we got sidewalks we want parks we want you know better air quality and so that project had a lot of great partners with Safe Routes Partnership, you know, AQMD, which is the Air Quality Management District, but it was just so wonderful. Like I've never experienced getting doors closed in our face so many times and then just, you know, working with each other to to push through that and be victorious at the end. It's such an excellent example of persistence and also the power of community, right? And people who are unafraid to get doors slammed in their face, but want to keep going anyway. And great example of, you know, partnering with a local assembly member, Eloise Reyes, she and her team are doing fantastic work. And yeah, so thank you for sharing that example. I know it was a huge win to get sidewalks in Muscoy. So congratulations on that, <laughs> on that accomplishment. And as you mentioned earlier, you're someone who grew up in Riverside. We're obviously centered in Riverside, UC Riverside. And you know the region well. So what are some future initiatives you'd like to see come to fruition for this inland Southern California area that obviously has so many great needs as we move forward? Yeah, and I'm I'm so proud of being from the Inland Empire and, you know, from Riverside in particular. And I think the Inland Empire is such 
a beautiful place. You know, we have an incredible amount of biodiversity in, in our county and in San Bernardino and Riverside. You know, we have mountains, deserts, and valleys. And what place can you think of where you can visit Joshua trees and snow-capped mountains and sand dunes all within the two-hour drive? And we need to really stop seeing our region as a hub for logistics and freight and really move away from extractive pra- practices, move towards a regener- regenerative economy that holds up a just transition. And so I think that initiative, a just transition, would really, really do wonders for our region. Um, you know, we live in a region where we're pitting against the need for jobs and the need to conserve our environment and our public lands. And pitting these, these two issues against each other is really destructive. And our communities deserve dignified work and whole protected ecosystems. All my life, I've heard the narrative that the Inland Empire, particularly the desert, is desolate and that that's not true. And that's really, you know, that, that narrative is offensive to the original stewards of this land. The IE is abundant with blessings and a just transition would be so healing for our community. And for listeners who might not be familiar with a just transition framework, it was first coined by Movement Generation. And it really thinks about how can we create a create a regenerative economy where we're respecting public lands, we're respecting nature and the value of work and the dignity of labor. And so I think we can really get there with initiatives like Address Transition, a Green New Deal. So I'm very excited to, to continue those conversations with a lot of folks who are already having those discussions on how we can move that policy forward. That's an absolutely brilliant and beautiful response. Thank you for that. And I look forward to continuing to elevate that response as much as possible. And I'm glad that you're involved in those conversations. Switching gears a bit, I would like to talk with you about uh, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. Not the singers, but your adorable dogs. I see them a lot on your Instagram. <laughs> and they seem to occupy a pretty important space in your life. So tell us about that. Yeah, this is the most important question of the podcast. <laughs> so um, I'm excited to talk. Yeah, talk about that. Well, I'm a huge dog person and country music fan. You know, and I, what I really love about Dolly and Kenny is they really, you know, this is going to sound corny, but um, showed me like what unconditional love is. And, you know, I want to take that approach to all of my relationships. You know, the the trust that you give, the benefit of the doubt, that love. And especially during the pandemic, you know, it was such a stressful time for everybody. And, you know, love really is that 15 pound furry ball of joy, you know, that that is there for you at the end of the day, you know, and while you're stressed out. So, you know, they go everywhere with me and take them on trips. I also want to note that I have three chickens and they're named Natalie, Emily and Marty after the band, the chicks. <laughs> so I'm just a huge animal person. And and my friends and I joke that like, are, are you even queer if you don't daydream about owning a farm with a bunch of rescue pets, you know, because <laughs> that's my dream. <laughs> I love that so much. I knew you would have a great response to that question. Thank you for that. So our our final question, we like to ask everyone on this show, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, especially college students thinking about getting involved in the political arena, and again, broad definition of political arena, what would that be? Sure. And I, I feel like I learned this later, you know, in life and later as a you know, older student is my advice would be apply for everything. Even if you think you're not qualified for that job, that scholarship or whatever the opportunity is, because just the act of applying for that position or that scholarship is an exercise in preparing you for something greater. It helps you become a better writer to help you craft your story, to help you experience, you know, an interview. It's all practice that that really helps kind of prepare you for that. And I like I apply for things where I was like, I'm never going to get that. I've never applied for a scholarship. 
scholarship ever before. <laughs> and, you know, this year I got, I got a, a scholarship with the Switzer Foundation and I was like, wow, this was such a great practice to, to learn how to tell your story, to go to that interview. So apply for everything, ask for help and support, and people are willing to give it to you. That's such great advice and congratulations on the scholarship. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Demi, this has been such an informative and powerful and thoughtful conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Persist podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. The Persist podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know.